one of the difficult truths that we must accept as disciples of Christ is that we can't control him like a genie. Wouldn't it be great if we could? If we could just say things like, Jesus, heal, and then fill in the blank. My father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my spouse, my child, me. Jesus, heal, fill in the blank of, fill in the blank again. Cancer, COVID, depression, addiction, a broken heart. And it would happen. Wow. Or, Jesus, while you're at it, just heal everyone of everything. It seems like that would be a great power to have. Although, uh, years ago, some of you will remember there was a movie called Bruce Almighty. Um, not actually on a, a documentary about our Bruce, but it was with Jim Carrey, who played the part of a man named Bruce, who got to be God for a short while. At one point, uh, he starts hearing in his head every prayer in the world at the same time. And he gets overwhelmed, so he makes all the prayers into emails. And uh, he just hits select all, and then types in granted, and all those prayers are granted. And it unleashes total chaos in the world. As one example of what goes wrong, the lottery, the New York lottery announces that every person who bought a ticket won. And so you, there are a lot of very angry winners. But we certainly don't have to worry about ever being able to command God to do anything. So what might be even more frustrating is not even being able as disciples of Christ to understand what Christ does or doesn't do in our world and in our lives. It seems to me that if we at least always understood what Jesus would do or what Jesus wants, it would be a lot easier for us to set our expectations and not be disappointed. It would be easier for us to know how to pray or what to hope for. It would help us to find peace within ourselves about this broken and hurting world. As it stands, however, no one knows the mind of God without fail. And be highly suspect of anyone who claims that they do. Our story from John's Gospel for this morning vividly displays the inscrutability of Jesus. Rather than this story giving us a greater understanding of how Jesus will act in any particular situation or in a specific situation, Jesus acts in a way that calls our expectations into question. In the end, I think that what we learn from this story is that the only way to truly have peace in our hearts within this broken and hurting world is to accept Christ on his own terms and act on what we do know. In a significant way, the initial action 
of Jesus raises the hopes and expectations of all followers of Christ. Again, uh, there's a huge crowd of people, huge crowd that follow Jesus out to this fairly remote place. Thousands of people. Jesus sees them. He knows that they're going to be hungry soon, and he decides to feed them. The situation intensifies as we get a better sense of the gross inadequacy of resources available compared to the massive need. Jesus asks Philip what he thinks they should do because we know from other texts that Philip was from this area. So if anybody should know what's available to buy in the area, Philip should know. So that's when we hear, um, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip has a hard time believing that Jesus is even asking. Again, even if markets could be found with enough food, as Philip, we hear from Philip, eight months wages wouldn't be enough to bread for uh, to buy bread for each one to have even a bite. We know from John uh, what John writes later that w- there were five thousand men who were there, but most commentators agree that there were also probably likely thousands of women and children as well. So this would be a bit like. Jesus asking us, those of us who are gathered here in the sanctuary alone, not you people live streaming, you're off the hook. Just those of us who are here. Okay, I want you to go out and feed all the homeless people in Seattle uh, dinner tonight. That would be around probably 11,000 people that we would be being asked to serve. Which makes Andrew's paltry little offering look as ridiculous as it is. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five pita breads and two sardines. But, I mean, he even knows it. He says, but how far will that go among so many? Again, thinking about it in our context, it would be a little bit like Marilyn S. uh, saying, oh, I do think that there's a leftover casserole from seniors in the freezer. That'll do for 11,000 homeless people. And yet, somehow, it's enough. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place. The men sat down, about 5,000, we hope. The women and the children sat down as well. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And they all had enough to eat. Verse 12, we hear that. In fact, it's not even a really flattering picture of them having enough eat, uh, enough to eat. William Barclay Um, notes that the original Greek word that's used for all they had enough to eat 
was used of feeding cattle or feeding large animals. So it was like, yep, they pigged out and were satisfied. In fact, the leftovers are more than they started with. They picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, I don't know if you're willing to admit, I'm ad ad willing to admit that I have no idea what actually happened here, how this all happened. Whatever it was, it was miraculous. It was a miracle. In some way, the ways of God's kingdom in this world broke down any barriers that normally get in the way and things were as they could be or will be and there was enough for everyone. The more significant point for us this morning is that the miracle did happen. All four Gospels, this is the only thing before Jesus' last week, this is the only event that is recorded by all four Gospels. That's how significant it was. All four Gospels record that Jesus fed thousands of men, women, and children with almost from almost nothing. Is it any wonder then that the people who knew what had happened wanted to make Jesus their leader right then and there? Hunger is and has always been a major problem in our world. And here, Jesus showed that he has the power to make it go away. Thousands were ready to follow Jesus. Jesus could have built a revolutionary movement. And yet, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the, the one we've been waiting for. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew. He, he escaped again to a mountain by himself. Why? I mean, their expectations are raised because of what he did, what they experienced, but he won't fulfill their wishes. I mean, maybe we can understand a little bit more why he didn't let them anoint him king. They still thought that God's anointed one would be this strong, domineering conqueror of their enemies, even including violently if needed. We know that Jesus still had to show them and us that he leads through love and service. But why didn't Jesus continue feeding thousands of hungry people? Why didn't Jesus continue healing thousands of ill and hurting people? This is where we circle back to one of the great frustrations of following Jesus. We don't know. We don't know why. There are reasonable theories, rational theories, the uncoercible nature of love, the necessity of free will are a couple of examples of these types of things. And yet I have never heard any explanation that left me satisfied. 
anybody explaining why these things continue and then me feeling like, oh, oh, now I understand. Oh, I can sleep better at night now. We don't know. We don't know and we won't ever know fully in this life the ways of God. In order to find any sense of peace, we have to accept Christ on his own terms and trust that Christ's love for all people is greater than our own and that Christ knows better than we how to heal our broken and hurting world. At the same time, as we need to accept Christ on his own terms, God does give us something significant to work with from this story. As Dale Bruner notes, the minimal meaning of our text, never to be forgotten, is that Jesus cares for people physically. He feeds a hungry 5,000 plus. He feeds all these people. And he addresses one of the anxieties most present to Christian consciences today as we look out over a vast, hungry world. Jesus does a lot of physical work in all of the Gospels. Lest we ever forget the fundamental importance of Jesus to Jesus of the human body. It is this miracle that teaches the church unforgettably, indelibly, and initially that Jesus cares that people eat. Throughout the Gospels, we hear of Jesus feeding the hungry, healing the sick and the hurting, casting out demons from those troubled. Even before we read of the Holy Spirit alighting upon Jesus' followers after the ascension of the risen Christ, even while Jesus was still with them before his death, he sent disciples out in pairs, not only to tell people the good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus, but feed the hungry, heal the sick, and cast out demons. These conditions break the heart of Christ. They fill him with compassion and move him to act, to help. And as his followers, we too are called to let our hearts be broken and to be moved to act. Again, like I was saying in the earlier reflection, not in heroic ways, but in simple acts of faith. Often in the presence of need, especially great need, we feel like Philip, overwhelmed. We feel like we don't have the resources that we need to help and we will never get them, at least all that is needed. And yet what Jesus most wants from us is simply to offer what we do have and trust him for the rest. Philip answered, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to bread to buy for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, 
Here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I don't know, how far will that go? And yet, it's enough. That little bit is not only enough, it's more than enough. In God's hands, we hear that they, they ate their fill. They pigged out, like they satiated like animals after a feeding. And notice in verse 13. So they gathered the leftovers and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Somehow, that tiny little offering is absolutely essential to the feeding of thousands. The problem of hunger, as well as many other things, the problem of hunger in our world is actually not a lack of resources. At the end of last month, December 2021, a certain 10 people, fewer people than are in this room right now, a certain 10 people in the world had a combined wealth, more than the combined wealth of 3.1 billion other people on the earth. In fact, if you multiplied the combined wealth of those 3.1 billion by six, if you sextupled the wealth of 3.1 billion people in this world, they still wouldn't have as much wealth as 10 people on this planet. And I, I mean, these kinds of stats just, they make it so incredibly obvious. If the wealth of those 10 men, they're all men, by the way, <clears throat> if the wealth of those 10 men was frozen today, they got no more for the rest of their lives, and they spent together a million dollars a day every single day for 365 days a year, it would take 414 years to get through the money they have, the wealth that they have. The problem of hunger, of homelessness, of health care, of human services is not a lack of resources. It's a lack of sharing resources. In a world full of selfishness and skepticism about anything that can be done about our problems, Christ calls us to something else. I wrote originally, Andrew is our example here. William Barclay writes, uh, Philip was the one who said, the situation is hopeless, nothing can be done. Andrew was the one who said, I'll see what I can do and I'll trust Jesus to do the rest. That's not even fully true. It was the little kid that shared. There's a little kid sharing the tiny little bit. And Andrew, at least, was willing to, you know, put that little bit in front of Jesus. So Andrew, in a way, did his part, but the little kid, even more so, is our example. I don't know why God allows hunger, homelessness, illness at all. But I do know that if we expect God to make it all go away, 
we will continually be angry, frustrated, or cynical. The better road toward peace for all of us is to accept Christ on his own terms and continue to offer him what we can, even though it seems like nothing. I'll close with the words of N.T. Wright. The point is obvious, but perhaps we need to be reminded of it. So often we ourselves have no idea what to do. But the starting point is always to bring what is there to the attention of Jesus. We can never tell what Jesus is going to do with it. Part of Christian faith is the expectation not that God will make all problems go away. Part of Christian faith is the expectation that Christ will do something we hadn't thought of something new and creative and enough. Thanks be to God.